Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, dear listeners. Welcome back to Floaters. My name is Sophia. I'm the host of this here podcast, and I'm coming to you live from Studio Wardrobe. How are we doing, listeners? I hope you're all keeping well. Here in the UK, our national lockdown restrictions have eased as of this week. So this means Muggins here. That's me. I'm going back to work. I'm back at work. And while at first I was a bit sort of hesitant, you know, you get that sort of feeling of like you're back at school, you know, the the last day uh, of the summer holidays before you go back. I kind of <laughs> had that sort of feeling in my stomach. And um, but now I'm back. Honestly, like I'm actually kind of happy about it. Not only is it getting me out of the house and giving me space from my family, but um, I'm actually sleeping a hell of a lot better because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out and about because working is tiring. I've forgotten about that. And for all you people who've been working throughout this whole time, God bless you. God bless you. And also, you're probably, this is nothing new to you, so I do apologise. But, you know, I'm I'm just happy about the, the amount of sleep. I'm happy about the, oh, I'm getting lots of vivid dreams, actually, because I'm sleeping. So, do you know what? That's not interesting content. Do you know what is interesting content? This here episode. Ooh, that's a segue. Today, I am talking to content project manager, Paulina. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, so just to give you a bit of background, Paulina was born in Russia and she grew up in London and her travels through university and work have taken her all over the world and she's found herself back in London and um, she's particularly passionate about digital minimalism and just exploring and understand other peoples and cultures. And this is a really good chat. Uh, she's super interesting to talk to. And I can't wait to see and hear what you guys think about this. Um, do you know what? Enough said. Enough said. Let's get straight to it. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Paulina. So I was born in Russia and I spent the first uh, eight, nine years of my life there. Um, and then I moved to London and uh, my adolescence uh, and my youth was spent in London. Okay. And um, since being in London, have you been able to travel anywhere else for uh, work or studies? Yes, absolutely. So I actually lived for almost four years in France. Um, and this was during my studies. It was uh, during a year abroad at university. So the famous Erasmus uh, year abroad. Um, and I loved it so much that after finishing my studies, I moved back after graduating. Oh, wow. Like, I mean, that must have been quite something then. I mean, uh, and what did you what did you take away from that? Like, are you fluent now in, in French as well? Yes, I am, um, which is incredible. I think being able to speak a language is the best way to know a culture mm -hmm. um, and to be able to really connect with the people um, and to know things like the media, the films, music, literature. Um, that's how you really get to know, get to the heart of um, a country. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and since then, like... Um, so you, have you settled now back in London then? Are you, are you there? You, you, you've made your home in London. So, yes, I've been back in London for about six years now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny that you should mention this uh, topic of making a home because I think it's something, I mean, certainly for me, it's been something that I've never had uh, a grasp on uh, as a concept. Um, it's always been something almost like, something you're kind of reaching for and chasing but you're not really finding in a way um and I'm sure it's um quite similar for many uh third culture kids or for people who have traveled and lived in different places um so making a home for me for me home is uh yes where I am at the moment but also many other different places where if it's 
past places or perhaps even future places. Because, mm. like, yeah, I guess you always carry like a part of that place with you, and um, and it's almost like that place from it's like frozen in time. I found that a lot for um, uh, for the places that I used to live in. Things I feel like it's a uh, uh, like I know Estonia, but like I know Estonia when I was there, and so if I went mm. back now, I'm sure I'd be like, this isn't this isn't the place I know. This isn't yeah. my Estonia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can totally relate to that, and. Um, definitely seeing things, seeing places change over time. You almost get um, a sense of loss or nostalgia and thinking, oh, but when I lived here, it was like this and I remember it like this and love it for it having been a specific way. Um, And you come back year after year and you see the changes and you think, but that's not how I remember it, how it was. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely the case I feel for um, for London as well, because, I mean, the landscape changes constantly. It's like mm. London is is never finished. It's always mm. being uh, regenerated in some kind of way. Like yeah. I was, um, when I was there, I lived in, um, I started off living by Elephant and Castle, that sort of area. Yeah. And as I was living there, like as the years went on, it just changed yeah. completely. And now I think they've knocked down the shopping centre. Like that was oh, no. quite, I mean, it wasn't the most, pretty building in the world let's be honest but it was you know it was quite a, iconic for the area right right and I wonder like have you felt that for you know when you've left London and come back have you noticed some changes and things as you've yet yeah, made those moves I have but to be honest they didn't um impact me on or, or shock me um in the same way that they did for example when I go back to places I know in Russia um I think because London changes in in a direction that you expect it to change. So it's not like a complete culture overhaul. It's not uh, such a change that you think, wow, this is a totally different place to what it was before. So the culture of London remains the same. The vibe remains the same. There are just more buildings (laughs) and perhaps more events and more things going on. But I feel like the essence of London stays the same. Whereas, for example, when I go back to places in Russia, I notice a change every single year. And it honestly, I wish I'd kept almost like a diary or a timeline of every single one of my trips back because, um, yeah, it's it's been quite impressive how fast things were changing and and in a cultural sense as well. Um, and that's where I've seen the biggest changes. So a place that went from being pretty socialist for a really long time, um, for a long time when I went back there, when I landed, I could tell, okay, this is, I can definitely tell that this is Russia. This, it has its own essence. It has its own culture. It's so unique. It's so, um, different. And over time, and especially in the past maybe five years, seven years, that has started dissolving. Um, So it's become really more European, um, more Western, more globalized in a way. Um, And those changes have really hit me because um, now if I'm walking through uh, a city uh, in Russia, it just feels like I could be anywhere else in, in Europe um, or in a, in a Western capital, for example. Um, and that wasn't the case before. And how have those rapid changes affected your relationship with, with, with Russia? Well, it's a complicated question <laughs> because, as we were saying earlier, we do tend to cling on to a place, um, uh, the historic place that it was when we lived there. Um, And we have the memories of it, of our time there, when we lived there. So um, going back, I always have this nostalgia of, oh, I'm going to go back to the place that I used to live and it's going to be how it was. And it's almost like going back to your childhood. Um, Probably a thing to compare it to for those who um, perhaps haven't had this experience is maybe going back to your childhood 
uh, home or going back to your childhood city and just seeing it completely change and thinking, oh, this isn't this isn't quite how it was before and having this nostalgia for for what it was when you were a child. Um, so it's the, it's the same kind of thing that you feel it's not the same place anymore. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. geographically, but culturally and um, time-wise, things have really evolved. So sometimes it's strange to think, where do I fit in? Do I fit in in the past <laughs> of this place? Is my identity the past of this place? Um, or is my ident- does my identity have to evolve with how this place is evolving? Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it. Um, and I, I wonder, I mean, with your um, family still living um, in Russia, I suppose they've had to sort of evolve with how, how the place around them is evolving too. Yes um, and no, <laughs> in a way. Um, so I think a lot of uh, older generations, they're really still connected to... Um, their youth and the culture that they grew up with in their youth, uh, which is great because they share so many things with me from um, when Russia was still the Soviet Union and how things were there and the culture and uh, the lifestyle. Um, And I learned so much, so much through them. So I feel like I have this connection to the past through their memories and through what they share. Um, But of course, uh, friends and family who are my age, um, they are uh, up to date with, with with culture and um, with the mentalities of of the, the modern locals. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, to talk to people from the older generation, no matter where they're from, as well, because it's it's always like it's like looking into a time machine almost. Um, and and when you get all these different stories and experiences, I mean, I've had stories from my grandparents about. Um, they had very different upbringings, all of them, because they're sort of all mixed European. But mm. so when they talk about things like the Second World War, for example, they were on very different like paths at that point. Mm. And it's just very interesting to hear what was going on and and, and how far everything has come since like yep. a, a horrible time like that in particular. Um, but uh, and 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 since you, I want to want to take it back. I want to take it back a little bit. Okay. So from. So you moved from Russia to London when you were still quite young. Yeah. Um, what was that transition like for you as a child? Did you experience um, any sort of culture shock or, or, or did you even know um, the language uh, at all before you got here? Good question. I spoke uh, zero English when I moved over. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest shock for me um not being able to communicate so I was literally um in school not speaking a word of English um so I had to pick it up really really quickly um and luckily I was at an age where um I could learn quickly and also at an age where that kind of thing isn't such a big deal of course I felt that I want to communicate, I want to, to speak to people. And it took some time. But at that age, um, when you're not a teenager, it's not, you, you get on with it. It's not such a big deal. Um, and I think, I think it's just the, yeah, the, the language that was um, the, the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle to get over. Um, in terms of culture, of course, everything was, totally different um, from the education system to um, different social, let's say, um, uh, social norms. Uh, Things in Russia, for example, are more formal in the way you speak to elders or you speak to teachers. Um, And uh, it's very proper. So you sit at desks and you have to have a specific posture in the way you sit um whereas in when I came over to London it was much more informal um so there were a lot of uh different uh cultural differences in school but also in the in the wider world as well 
Mm. Yeah. And I wonder then when you were, as you were growing up within um, like your, your school environment and everything, um, and as a teenager in London, um, were you, did you have any um, difficulties sort of negotiating your Russian identity with your London identity at all? I, I think that only actually came up um, as I got a bit older. So as a child and as a teenager, I didn't really think about cultural identity at all. Um, it was only the language barrier that made me feel like <laughs> there was something different between me and others. Um, but it wasn't in the sense of even identity or cultural identity. It was just, I can't at the moment communicate properly with my classmates or my teachers, but that was, that was it. Um, and because London is so diverse, I was surrounded by classmates who were from all different backgrounds. There was no sense of being an odd one out, for example, because I came from somewhere else. Um, and the same carried on through um, secondary school. There, I was in a school once where there, was, there were more people from um, outside of the UK than actually British classmates. Um, so I think at one point I was in a class where there was only, I only had one British classmate and everyone else was from somewhere else in the world. So I never felt this sense of um, being culturally different because I was surrounded by people who were culturally different. So there was no norm. <laughs> there was no um, one uh, culture that I was comparing myself to. And I think that's probably um, an experience of growing up in London. And I think it would have been totally different had I moved to a small village somewhere um, in the UK. I would have had a very different experience. Yeah, I guess because London is so, yeah, as you say, it's so diverse and culturally like it's just a wonderful cocktail of all things. Um, yeah. So I suppose, yeah, it's, it must have always been like going to international school in a way. Yeah. because absolutely. <laughs> people from all over the place. Yeah. Um, so what was there something in particular then in your, um, as you got older, that sort of triggered that um, uh, identity shift or or the the uh, or what's the right way of putting this just sort of shifted your your perception of identity does that make sense mm. yes so I think it mostly started um in probably in my late teens and at university when I started being surrounded more by local um local Londoners so local um English British classmates who had grown up there, whose families had um, all grown up in the UK. Um, and that's when I started seeing the, the, the difference, I guess, in our, um, in our lives or perhaps even our outlooks on specific things. Um, having come from a different place and being exposed to a very different culture, what I found is that I was exposed to um, quite different maybe philosophies or ways of looking at the world, um, especially because um, Russia, let's say, is a Eurasian country. So it has a lot of um, influences, not only from <clears throat> Europe, but Asia, um, Middle East, and um, lots of different parts of the world. So all those cultures influence uh, the Russian culture. Um, which is, of course, very different to British culture or Western culture. So I started noticing those little uh, differences. And I think it also came with age because at that age, you're developing um, your thinking, you're developing your personality, you're developing who you are, um, and you're starting to have opinions <laughs> on world issues or on things outside of your immediate environment. So I studied, for example, politics and, and history and psychology, and those topics um, really bring up uh, things that force you to think about your own viewpoint. And that's where I started noticing that actually um, this double culture does have an impact on how I view certain things. 
Mm. I think, yeah, I, I had a similar sort of experience going to university. Not that I was studying the same thing as you. I was doing drama, darling. <laughs> not not quite as serious. But, um, uh, uh, but at the same time, I had a, an experience of sort of um, suppressing my uh, multicultural background in order to sort of maybe as a way to protect myself because the environment was very different and... Mm. Um, and like, as you say, you start to develop loads of sort of critical skills and, and mm. the way you, you, you develop your thinking. And um, maybe as self-preservation, it became a sort of, okay, I'll keep these things to myself. But, you know, and, and you become more of, for me anyway, I became more of an observer mm. of like how other people per perceived certain cultures or attitudes or um, rituals, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that was more of a sort of uh, a cowardly stance. Perhaps I should have been a bit more like stood up for this, that and the other. But at the same time, it's a, it's a strange thing when you're still figuring yourself out mm -hmm. how, to, how you want to like represent or identify yep. in fact. Um, and it's a, it's a tricky thing to figure out, I think, as a young person in particular. Mm. And, um, and so did you go to university in London? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, again, the multi... Uh, cultural environment continued um, but I actually found that um, again I was surrounded by quite a lot of um, local British students um, so again exposed to um, that kind of um, environment which for me was actually <laughs> unusual because I was so used to being in classrooms with with um, people from from different places in the world mm, yeah and, and and how is your um and now that you're out and you know in the working world um what is your so has your work taken you um on travels as well have you been able to continue your sort of international journey as it were <laughs> so I uh worked in France for a few years after graduating and also spent some time in Germany working in Munich which was a um, beautiful incredible place um, but since then I've been back in London with a few short trips of work uh, to Germany um, but mainly staying local in London. Mm. And is that something that's um, drawn you to your um field of work I mean oh we haven't even mentioned on the podcast what is your what, what field do you work in? <laughs> um, I work in uh, content project management uh, so I manage uh, editorial projects uh, creative projects um, and I've worked in a number of different industries doing this kind of role. Brilliant and with that sort of work is that something that sort of um attracts you to the role as well, as well as it being creative and um, working in sort of the digital field, um, is being able to connect with different cultures or travel as well. Is that part of the, the, uh, the appeal of the work? So definitely. Um, my attraction to the different um, roles that I've done over the years um, has been exposure to different ideas. And I think that's really what's um, led me to most of the roles that I've had. Um, so I worked in um, a nonfiction publishing house where I was working on books um, on different philosophies, different, um, different lifestyles. Um, and I loved learning about that. I loved discovering that it was almost like going into different cultures, going into different places and learning more about um, traditions or, or rituals. Um, and in the current company that I work for, I'm exposed to so many different topics, so many different um, industries and theories um, that I feel like I'm constantly learning about people and, and psychology and different ways of thinking, of living. Um, I'm also very... Um, lucky to be able to speak and interview lots of different experts and authors in my current role so actually usually it's it's me in on the other side of the microphone asking all the questions so this is unusual for me um so i'm i get to speak to really interesting people and it's almost like traveling and and meeting fellow travelers along the way um, and having this experience this exchange of ideas and uh conversation 
Mm. Yeah, I think that's something that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, I didn't quite realise that, yeah, you're on the other end here. I didn't put two and two together. Um, but I, I guess it is that, isn't it? It's sort of understanding other people's experiences and stories. And that's why, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm doing this as well. Um, it's a similar sort of thing. Um, and, and having that sort of connection and meeting halfway somehow and yeah. exchanging those ideas. Um, and, uh, and, and I thought it was interesting. Um, I think uh, I'll mention as well, you sent me an article ahead of time because um, you thought it might be um, interesting for me to read. And it certainly was. And I'd never, it was about um, how uh, cities in themselves or the cos- cosmopolitan um, lifestyle, that how they're sort of subcultures within, uh, within mm. those places. Mm. And I thought it was interesting because um, did you say you were um, living in Camden at one point? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was. So I actually grew up in, in Camden. Right. Yeah. And that's almost like, like, as you said in your messages, as a culture in itself. And uh, it made me think a lot about where I was living in London and how that was so different. And did you ever get in those conversations like, oh, no, North is the best, North London's the best, or like, it's all about East? <laughs> you all know, the, the ones? time. <laughs> all the time. And I think it's not just a London thing. I think it's uh, just a, a global thing. I think every city has its own you know sort of rivalry between different areas but also every country always has its north south divide and um i mean i've seen it everywhere i've lived there's there's always this sort of regional competition um and um in london what i find striking is that there's such um a competition between not a competition but like almost snobbishness <laughs> um, of areas of, no, South London is better. No, North London is better. No, the East is the coolest. And <laughs> just just this um, pride of wherever you're living, uh, which I haven't come across actually um, in the smaller cities I've lived in across the world, but um, perhaps it's a capital city phenomenon. <laughs> It might well be. I mean, I remember having really serious conversations with friends about things like this. Like I was going to, I was planning on moving in with a particular friend who happened to be living North London and I was South and we were like, yes, we should move in. Great idea. And then we just never got round to it because neither one of us would compromise (laughs) on being North or South of the river. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's totally (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) but it's just one of those things and I think yeah like if you stepped out of the tube and like yeah in Camden and then got out I don't know maybe uh like in in Clapham or something it would be it it is like totally different worlds and they're only like half an hour away from each other absolutely absolutely I mean in London as well one of the things is sometimes you can cross the street and you feel like you're in a different neighborhood um which again I think is pretty unique to London I haven't been in a city that is designed in a way with such stark differences just you know three minutes away from each other usually um for example places like Paris um are really sort of divided into very specific um areas um architectures and and types of um urban designs so London is is quite unique in that sense yeah and um and now that you yeah you've um pop down a few routes where you are now. Um, how do you find yourself, like when you've been moving from place to place, is there a particular ritual or something that you follow in order to make yourself feel a bit more like it's your home or it's it's your place, it's your, it's your space? That's interesting. Um, no, is the answer. Um, because I think I like to have not a, it's not a fresh start but it's almost like I want to see what will happen if I start from zero um and it's almost a sense of I don't want to take all my um past habits or I don't want to take my past assumptions with me and even my stuff <laughs> which is a big one um so when I move I like to almost start from zero and see what will happen? What will happen in this new culture? What will happen in this new lifestyle? Um, particularly when I move from very different lifestyles. So, for example, when I moved from London to France, I moved to the south of France to a smaller city, beach culture, you know, hot weather from April to October, 
very different lifestyle. So I couldn't, it, it wouldn't make sense for me to take sort of all my London stuff and my London, let's say, mentality across because I wouldn't be able to really embrace the local life. Um, similarly, when I moved uh, to Munich, um, again, very outdoorsy lifestyle. The Alps are around the corner. You have lakes. You you, you can travel to several different countries um, very easily. Um, that lifestyle is was very different as well. So I actually moved to Munich with just one suitcase of things. And it was the most liberating experience in the world to not think about stuff or not think about what you're carrying with you and to just go and explore the lifestyle. Um, so I almost want to travel as with as few things and few assumptions as possible when I move to a new place to really explore it. Mm. That sounds really good actually <laughs> like really good idea I mean it must be quite cleansing like Marie Kondo-esque you yeah. know like just it's just things it's fine I'll be fine and um, <laughs> I, I should take a leaf out of your book actually because I've I've discovered that I um having not moved around quite so much of of late mm. I am a bit of a hoarder and it's mm. not good I need to I need to address it. I mean, I will address yep. it at some point, but you know, I, <laughs> I need to address it because um, moving around, like, as you say, you don't really have that much time to accumulate that many things yep. as it were. And then, exactly. um, and, uh, but that's a really good way of thinking about it. Like just, cause yeah, it's quite freeing and, and you don't have anything tying you down. Like you don't need to worry about what will happen to my chest of drawers that yeah. I, I, I picked from Ikea. It took me ages to choose that particular chest of drawers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And it's, it's incredible how, um, how much thinking space it frees up. So when I was in Germany living out of my one suitcase, I had a specific amount of outfits and I didn't need to think about anything. So I knew when the weather's nice, I have a pair of shorts or I have a skirt that's it. And I have a, a couple of t-shirts, put it on, go <laughs> embrace the day. Um, <laughs> and similarly, okay, if I need to go into the office, I have specific sets of outfits and it saves so much time. And then you gain time and actually going out and living rather than looking after stuff. And I'm having the same experience of, okay, now I've been in London for six years in one place. Now I just feel like I've got too much stuff that I, that I like almost looking after it's like, you know having a pet or something you're constantly looking after the you know trying to make sure that you know you're keeping these things in in good shape and things like that and it's yes it's sometimes it's so much easier to to have nothing yeah. and do you find then that with that feeling are you sort of um do you find yourself having a like a internal clock as it were to sort of say right well there's too much stuff maybe it's time to go traveling for like a couple of months and then come back or maybe it's time to you know do you find yourself thinking that way oh I love that I don't but that's a great <laughs> way of thinking about it um I think my my thinking is usually I have too much stuff and if I go traveling or if I do a big trip or if I have a, a lifestyle change, I don't want to be thinking about this stuff. So I need to declutter before I do that because when I come back, I don't, I don't want to come back to this mess or I don't want to come back to this, um, these things that I've accumulated that I don't even use. Um, so that's more of my thinking of almost like a cleansing before I go on to, to, to a next step, for example. Mm, like allowing yourself to evolve with with mm. whatever changes are coming and yeah I suppose if you were to leave everything as it were as I so often have just you're not allowing yourself to move on or move forward or change and you're sort of stuck in the past like recently um regular listeners will know I've been redoing <laughs> my bedroom here in my parents house and I because I haven't spent that much time here um like overall this used to be just a place where like, oh, some things were and a bed and that's mm. fine. And I've gone through loads of stuff recently and um, I can't believe how much crap I have. And it, it might just even be like, oh, it's a beer mat that I, I took from Prague or mm. it's this. And I'm like, when am I going to use this? Like, when mm. is this actually useful to me? Mm. And and if it's fine if it's like, I mean, I get it if... Um, 
I, I have such, I hold on to so many memories through stuff. And I'm thinking mm. maybe I should just let that go and instead just have the memories. Like yeah. that's clearly, that's surely more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I can completely relate because with every place you pick up small things and you pick up small objects. Or if you've lived somewhere for um, an amount of time, you have that nostalgia of, oh, that used to be the cup that I used every morning when I lived in that place, <laughs> for example. Um, and it's hard to let go. Um, but I've, the way that I'm approaching that kind of thing now is saying, okay, either I use it and it's literally an object that is of use to me in my life now, or I, I put it in a nostalgia box, for example, mm -hmm. and then I just accept that this is nostalgia and it's not clutter. And I accept that this thing actually, no, I don't want to use it anymore. It doesn't serve a purpose in my life, but I have an emotional attachment to it. I'll put it in a box and that's, that's the place it will serve for me. If one day I want to go through those items and have those memories. Um, so that's how I've been trying to, to separate the two so that I don't get overwhelmed with, all, <laughs> with the past really. Yeah, that's exactly it actually. Overwhelmed with the past. Oh my God. <laughs> right. I'm going to have to like use that as a mantra or something next time I go through stuff. I'm like, don't get overwhelmed <laughs> with the past. Just leave it behind. Leave it behind. Because <laughs> I, I, I do that as well. I've got like, um, I call them my special boxes where I keep like, you know, old letters mm. or, you know, yeah, it's like things that you say, like you've got emotional attachment to. Um, and, um, which is fine. I just got to make sure I don't, you know, let them overflow because I'm, yeah. I, I think I'm prone to doing something like that, get a bit too carried away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a very nostalgic person, so I can relate. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that comes with the territory of, um, of, yeah, doing lots of traveling or whether that's, uh, you know, having, like you say, like uh, uh, when you're going back to Russia and you're, 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 it's constantly changing back home. So you're trying to cling on to the things mm -hmm. that you, you already do have um, and uh, all the, those memories, because they only exist if they're in physical form and exactly. this material thing. Um, but how have you, I was going to ask as well, how have you found, um, <laughs> I mean, it's a broad question, but how have you found the pandemic? How have you, um, uh, in terms of like traveling or like even, you know, not being able to go see family or have you been mm. able to see family during this time? So no, usually I would um, visit family about twice a year um, and I haven't been able to go back. Um, which, and it's been really hard, really, really hard. Um, and I've really, really felt the distance at, the, at this time, um, especially now that there are rules on why you can leave the country um and there is no rule for saying you can leave the country because you have family abroad which is crazy <laughs> it's crazy um i know there was a trend at some point i think it was uh, last summer of lovers and tourism and uh, there were a lot of people around the world who started this um, hashtag, these groups on social media, because there were couples who were living in different countries or even in different cities, and they were basically not allowed to go see each other. And how do you keep up a relationship, a romantic relationship, if you can't see each other for a year? Mm, yeah. um, and in the same way, how can you um, support family? How can you be there for family that is struggling, that might not be well, if they're living in a different country? Um, and you don't need it to be such an extreme reason of, you know, someone is getting married or you have to move for a job. Um, I think the reason of being able to visit people um, who are close to you is, is a valid enough reason to be able to travel. Mm, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think um, we're having this sort of issue in our family at the moment because all of my grandparents are all abroad mm. and um, they they need help. And yeah. so it's been a really tough time, I think, especially, yeah, especially for my parents, of course, because it's their parents. Yeah. Um, but it's been it's been so tough. And also the strange thing is that there's been this guilt that's been hanging over the family mm. of like, 
because we, we're not able to do anything but then mm. like we literally can't i mean mm. uh, other than try and support as best as we can from a distance yeah but even that you know like my granddad yeah. is not good with skype i mean and it's you know <laughs> he, he can't hear anything anyway so even if the phone rings will he pick up we don't know <laughs> it's so it's just the, the physical distance yeah it really absolutely it, it has its toll i think absolutely and um I think that's when you realize that there is such a distance mm. when something happens and you can't just get on a plane and go. Mm. Um, there have been specific situations in the past year where certain members of my family were unwell. And usually in that circumstance, someone would jump on a plane, go, even if it was for a long weekend, just to say, are you okay? Is everything okay? I'm here for you. I'm far away, but I'm here. Um, I've done that in the past where, you know, people were going through difficult things, um, where I just wanted to be there for my family or a friend that was going through a really hard time. Um, and that's, that hasn't been possible and you just feel so powerless mm. and mm. you feel like, well, should I just move over completely? Because then at least I'm there and at least I can, I can be there if anything happens. I think it's really made me realize how lucky we are to be able to travel, to be able to move so freely because other place, in other places of the world, people can't and it's very complicated. And for example, you need to get a visa to go anywhere and it's a complicated process to get that, complicated, expensive and not guaranteed. Um, so the fact that with specific passports and nationalities, you're able to just jump on a plane and go somewhere, um, that's such a luxury. And um, I hope that for people who had that lifestyle, that jet setter lifestyle, I hope that the pandemic has, has really helped us and them <laughs> realise that because it's not, I think it's, it's a privilege rather than... Um, a standard. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Totally agree. And so earlier on, you mentioned that when you were in drama school, there were things that um, you perhaps uh, wanted to express or maybe that you disagreed with um, in relation to other people or situations around you. So I wanted to ask you if there was anything uh, in particular uh, that really that was really different um, in, in how you felt or how you perceived things. Um, and if there were any specific things that you express more openly now. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, so I suppose the biggest shock for me going to university um, was the, was being made aware of the English class system, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which was huge for me because um uh, I didn't realise that the way I sound comes with the baggage. I thought, because when I first got to the UK, like for school, when I was like nine years old, eight years old, I had an American accent because I went to mm. international school. Mm. And then I was made fun of having that accent. So I quickly mm. changed it and, you know, chameleon kid skills kicked in. Yep. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, like I was in this environment and it was never questioned after that. And then I was in this environment where it was the wrong thing to sound like, because especially if you're doing something quite arty and uh, uh, like like drama, everyone's quite liberal and and um, maybe even has socialist tendencies. So a lot of like my accent carries a lot of weight or carried a lot of weight. And so uh, because I was mercilessly at times uh taking the piss out of for sounding like this i wouldn't even bother trying to talk about you know oh well you know my parents actually just moved back from colombia or poland or whatever and i wouldn't even talk about the fact that i you know i'm gonna go see my grandma in germany or whatever because mm. i didn't want them to associate my my heritage with um being uh, what they thought was a privileged person and mm. I suppose I am privileged because I have been able to travel and stuff but um it really made me think because I've never thought to question anybody for their mm. accent their background anything um maybe that's my upbringing um maybe that's it's probably due to loads of factors and mm. um and uh but all of a sudden 
uh, especially like, yeah, being in, maybe it was also because I was in South London. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm, or maybe, I don't want to throw South London under the bus, but I find that my accent. <laughs> as <I've, laughs> Oh, see, I'm converting you already to North London. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, South London people, I love you. Um, but yeah, so it was just like, it was quite difficult. And um, and as I've grown up anyway, like I, my accents sort of gone here and there and everywhere. So I do tend to pick up things now. And I remember once having a conversation with my parents on the phone. I was on my home, way home from work uh, when I was in London and I said something in a sort of South London accent. And then my parents took the piss out of me because I'd started assimilating that culture and so I found, yeah, that's that was the thing at university that I found the most difficult, trying to find a place where I would sort of fit in and then Mm-mm. holding back information so that, you know, I let them believe their own fantasy mm. so that I can just get on and mm. do my work and create more work with without fear yeah. of anything else clouding that, if that makes sense. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, because the, the, the class system in the UK as well is so... Um, I think it's more and more, it's getting more and more divided mm. and, and the gaps are getting greater, especially because mm. of COVID now as well. And I totally understand where it comes from, but it's, um, it's so difficult when, uh, yeah, you thought you sounded English enough and then now you're sounding too English. And, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you can never win. You can never win, I think. No, you um, can't. And I actually, um, had maybe the quite the opposite experience when I went to university so having grown up in Camden it's a very um liberal place to grow up in um very let's say anything goes sort of place (laughs) there aren't any rules of behavior there aren't any um uh, you know nothing is shocking I think that's how you can define Camden I grew up in a place where nothing is shocking and the more rebellious you are, the, you know, the, the more misbehaved or, or um, eccentric you are, the better. Um, and when I went into university, um, I was surrounded by people who came from more conservative, traditional backgrounds. And suddenly I felt like I have to be proper. I have to <laughs> behave in a really correct, polite contained way um and I mean I wasn't um an offensive person anyway but it was just um the difference between um being quite open and and authentic to almost having um more rules of etiquette in a way uh to follow so it was very it's very interesting how we feel either boxed in or how we feel um we we need to align to those to those environments that we're in Mm. yeah it is really interesting and um I imagine for yourself like once you've grown up in such a sort of open space like Camden like just to be yourself entirely um that must have been quite um like well really weird to have to sort of feel as if you have to box yourself in almost and 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 restrain yourself from from maybe being your truest self yeah I mean I don't think for me it was um suppressing my, my true self it was more um it was more the fact that the people I was at university with I think were shocked they it was they came from um different places or different places from abroad or in the UK where it was more of a a conservative traditional culture so sometimes the way I dressed from my clothes I I took from sixth form um you know people would sort of look at me like I'd you know I'm I'm going to a rock concert whereas I'm going to a lecture but that was absolutely normal in Camden you dress up as if you're going to a rock concert every day um, at least when I was growing up there, it's totally different now. Mm. Um, so that it was the first time that I felt like I had a dress code that I mm. had to um, follow. I'd mm. never felt that in school. Our school was very liberal, so we could dress how we wanted. But at university, I felt like, oh, I need to tone it down. It seems like this is too much. It seems like this is not a proper way to dress. It seems like I need to um change my style in a way um mm-hmm. to to seem appropriate to the environment mm. 
Mm, that's fascinating, actually. I wonder if that's also, that might be to do with perhaps, or maybe, I don't know if this is a generalisation, but uh, perhaps to do with the subjects that you were also studying. I don't know if that's because they're quite, tra- not traditional, but they're, they're quite sort of uh, serious subjects. They're very academic. And I wonder if there's like a sort of culture surrounding those, perhaps that, like, for example, when I did drama, I mean, it's all quite, you know, everyone's quite... Um, Oh, I was going to say wishy-washy, but that sounds bad too. <laughs> These are my people. What am I trying to say? <laughs> but there's a bit creative, more... Creative, creative. Thank you. <laughs> oh God, I'm going to get dragged for that. Um, but yeah, there's, they're a bit more creative. So I wonder if there's like maybe an unwritten rule of within those subjects of like, uh, was it history, politics and psychology you said? So that's what I studied at sixth form, but at university, it was French and philosophy. Oh, sorry. French and... Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe I should take back my, my point then. I take my back. My, my back, my point. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, so um, in that case, actually, I will close off our chat today by asking you, is there anything today you'd like to plug or promote? Yes. Um, I would love, love to uh, recommend um, all listeners to read an article called How to Say This is Crap in Different Cultures. Uh, It's by um, a business expert called Erin Meyer. She specializes in um, multicultural workplaces and how to make them succeed. And it's a really funny and entertaining article um, about how different cultures misinterpret each other because some cultures are uh, indirect communication cultures, so like uh, English culture, um, and some are direct, uh, where you really just say what you mean. <laughs> um, and what happens when those two cultures meet in a work environment and how things really get uh, misinterpreted. Uh, really highly recommend it. Really um, entertaining, light read, but very insightful. If you'd like to check out the article, there's a link in the show notes. I've had a little read myself and it really hits the nail on the head. It's quite entertaining. Also, as someone who has assimilated the British culture, uh, found it quite exposing. <laughs> it definitely exposed my uh, British indirect management skills for what they are. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see what you guys think about it. Go check it out. Um, I'd also like to plug something today. Um, It is uh, one of my oldest friends and friend of the podcast. She featured on episode one. She's an OG floater. Adora Saludo. She has dropped her new clothing collection um, for Aura. That's A-O-R-A-H. She is the founder of Aura and this collection is stunning. She transforms traditional Nigerian textiles into these gorgeous pieces and on top of that, through Aura, she supports disadvantaged women in Nigeria through her work. So what's not to love? Please go uh, find her Insta handle and website in the show notes and support her work. And as always, please like, rate, review, comment and subscribe to all things floaters. Find us on all the podcast platforms. And there's nothing left to say other than thanks once again to Paulina for chatting with me. Uh, Thanks to Adora for your help with graphics because yes, she does that too. She is a woman with many strings to her bow. And thank you to Aral for your sound help. And of course, thank you to you, dear, dear listener. Until next time. Bye-bye.